Oh man, I do not even want to be recording right now. If it were up to me, I would just be sitting in a corner praying. But uh, here I am. This is Aaron. I survived the Oklahoma ice storm, and it's yet to be decided if I will survive the election, which is probably how a lot of you are feeling right now. I, I am somebody who internalizes a lot of the pain and frustration and anger and emotions of others. Um, I am what they call an Enneagram 2. I don't know if that means anything to you or not, but my temperament is the helper, the giver. I want to help people. That's really the underlying motivation behind this podcast and everything I do. And it's so hard right now because I feel helpless and I feel like I can't help anyone. (laughs) Um, And make no mistake, you know, listening to this uh, from the get-go, you know, if you detect in my tone that it's like, oh man, I feel helpless because I really want this candidate to win or that candidate to win, uh, it's not that. Um, I, uh, my personal philosophy on politics is complex and it probably won't make people on either side happy. And I'm not going to get into it right here and right now, but I am going to read Psalm 146. Verse one says, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to my God as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, the maker of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. That's that's so helpful. Even just reading that right now, I can feel some of that anxiety lifting. Uh, But man, I struggle. I really do. I really do. Because going back to what I was saying about being an Enneagram 2, my biggest struggle is when I see division, when I see people divided, when I see people fighting amongst themselves. And I know, I, I truly know that there are many people fighting And they believe there is good reason to fight because they believe that if one side wins, everything's over. Or if the other side wins, we're all doomed, right? It's this this battle for humanity. The stakes have never been higher, as they say. But what I am seeing all over the place is a divisiveness that is not healthy for the Christian. It's not healthy for the church and it's not healthy for the world. Man, just scrolling through Twitter this morning, I was seeing people tweeting about how they told their parents, if you vote for Trump, I'm disowning you. I want nothing to do with you. I'm cutting you out of my life. 
That's, that's destructive. I, I saw other people saying, if you voted for Biden, we're not, we're not even sure that you're actually saved. You might not be a Christian. It's so, it's so destructive. People throwing down these ultimatums because their faith is put in the princes of the world. It's trusting that if the right prince gets in, then the world will be saved. But that's not how it works. No matter who wins, we're still going to be saddled with a lot of the same problems we had at the start. Things will get a little bit better in some ways, and things will get a little bit worse, no matter who wins. It's the pendulum swing. It's the way of life. And yes, there are moral issues that we have to care about. I I think of the unborn. It is horrendous to me that so many in our country view unborn humans as not fully human, not deserving of life, of a chance. It's horrendous to me that some think that it's a moral right and a moral good to be able to end the life of the least of these, someone defenseless. I also think of immigrants. I think of the rhetoric I've seen this year from so many painting immigrants as evil and despicable people. When we're a country of immigrants, this, this fear, this fear of the other, this unwillingness to combine justice with compassion, is there any way to reconcile the two? I think of the issues we've seen of racial justice. Obviously, there is so much deep-seated fear and anger and hatred in our country, and it just seems like it's simmering. It's, it's at the boiling point. It's ready to explode. And no matter where I look, I see people basically saying, if you don't vote this way, you hate these people. If you don't vote that way, you're responsible for the deaths of these people. Everyone is trying to outdo one another in the call to righteousness. Everyone is saying that righteousness can only be found on one side of a two-sided, broken, corrupted, binary system. And it absolutely breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see people in our world dying. People dying from a deadly disease. With half the country saying it's a big deal, half the country saying it's not a big deal, people saying it's a hoax, it's a setup, it's a scheme. And the division that rises from that to the point where you're able to make assumptions of somebody and the kind of character they have and the kind of person they are by whether or not they're wearing a mask. This is happening to all of us. It's these assumptions that are burrowing their way into our psyche, into our brain, and causing us to fear the other, to hate the other, to think that the other is the root cause of all of our problems, and if they just went away, then everything would be good. We're presented with these two deeply flawed choices, two deeply flawed leadership candidates, candidates with skeletons in their closet, and the closet's been open, and we can see 
No matter which side you choose, it feels like the emperor has no clothes. And yet we're constantly being called to dress up our side, to put lipstick on a pig, to pretend that things aren't as bad as they really are. And it's, it's overwhelmingly discouraging and frustrating and hard. One of my friends and mentors and former pastors, Evan Wickham, wrote this recently. He said, the more centered and at home I've been in historic Christian orthodoxy, the more politically bipolar and homeless I've become in our cultural moment. He then went on to say that as a follower of Jesus in America, he has no legitimate access to a political party that fights for both the life of the unborn child and for the lives of immigrant children who are suffering because of policies that are harmful to them. As a Jesus follower in America, we have no legitimate access to a political party that cares about both the scientific concerns about people's health and the concerns about the health of the economy. As Jesus followers in America, we don't have a political party that upholds the Judeo-Christian one man, one woman marriage and also looks at LGBTQ people and says, you're valued, you're loved, despite theological differences I might have with you. I respect you, I honor you, and I want you to be here so that I can show the love of Christ to you. That just doesn't exist. He goes on to say, followers of Jesus are not supposed to be centrists on the American political spectrum. Citizens of heaven inhabit one sphere entirely. This sphere must intersect the American political spectrum in unpredictable and profoundly offensive places, regardless of sides. And I love, I love that post that he made, but man, just reading through the comments and seeing the pushback he got, it's so hard for people to get there. It's hard for me to get there. I feel the political homelessness. There's no side that I feel like represents me and who I am. Just last night, I had a friend saying, Aaron, you, you need to embrace conservatism and just unabashedly say you're a conservative. But I look at the current conservative party and I'm just like, this, I don't feel like this represents me. This isn't my heart. This isn't my heart for the world. This isn't my heart for the lost. This isn't who I am. And I don't think this is who Jesus is calling me to be. I have another friend who's constantly saying, Aaron, you need to get on board with the left, man. And I just, I can't. I honestly can't. There's so much moral corruption that I see on the left, despite their good intentions. But I see moral corruption on the side of the right as well. It's, it's this constant circle of hypocrisy. And I think it's causing me even more than ever to realize that as Christians, we are not called to align ourselves with any earthly political governmental system. We're not called to pick the lesser of two evils. I grew up thinking that there was a political side that was God's side and God was fighting for that side and he had appointed that side and one side was good and one side was evil. But I think, I think that now what I see is it's a lot more like that scene in Joshua where Joshua walks up to the angel of the Lord that appears on the battlefield and he asks the angel, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel replies, I'm for neither. I'm for Yahweh. I'm for God. 
I'm fighting for the Lord. And your side, their side, you've got your agenda, they've got their agenda, but there is a heavenly agenda. I'm calling you to fight for that. And I really think that is what we need. We need to unify around the reality that we are to fight for God's kingdom and it doesn't look left and it doesn't look right. If you grew up like me in America, you've probably been brainwashed to think that that is the paradigm. But spending time on the mission field has taught me that there are Christians of all sorts of different political flavors and persuasions and leanings all over the world. And if we allow those political leanings to divide us, if we allow those political leanings to cause us to look at one another and say, you are my enemy, we're, we're doing violence to the work of the gospel, to the mission of Christ. You know, I get this picture, right, of some disaster, some bomb going off. There's people on the ground, there's bodies all around, people wounded, people struggling. And in the current cultural moment, it seems like every day we're faced with some new and horrible report about broken lives. Some new event that is the metaphorical bomb that goes off leaving people to lie on the ground broken and beaten. And it's not uncommon to just, just picture two Christians of different political persuasions walking up on that scene and seeing the bodies, seeing the people struggling. And this is their reaction. The Christian on one side says, this is horrible. The government should do something. And the Christian on the other side says, no way. The government should stay out of this. It's a sin issue, nothing more. And the other Christian responds, this is all the fault of the guys that you voted for. And the other Christian says, are you kidding me? The guy you voted for is a hundred times worse. And then the other Christian says, my side is right and I'm willing to publicly debate you for hours to prove it. And the other Christian says, bring it on. I'll show you that the thing you think is a big deal isn't as big a deal as the thing that I think is a big deal. And then you see Christians on both sides cheering and jeering, fight, 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 as they hit the comment section with a barrage of likes and hearts and angry faces and smiley faces. And in the middle of that scene of two Christians fighting, in the corner, the person on the ground who's bleeding out says, help, can, can, anyone, can anyone help me? Can anyone hear me? I'm suffering, I'm struggling. But no one can hear them because the sound is being drowned out by two Christians fighting over ideological wars. I think too often our instant reaction to anything and everything is to debate our opinions about the problem while ignoring the people God has placed in front of us who are hurting from the problem. What if instead of standing distantly away from those bodies, those people that are hurting and suffering and screaming at one another, Christians of different political persuasions rushed to the scene to help together. Instead of yelling at each other about political views, we approach those who are suffering together as a team and say, we're here to help. What can we do? Jesus loves you and so do we. We pray 
Father, bring comfort to the hurting. Help us to forgive and to heal and to turn to you in this moment. And then just imagine those two Christians, right? Left, right, somewhere in the middle. And after a day of helping the hurting, they're sitting by the fire, reflecting on the day. And the one Christian says, thanks for your help ministering to the people today. And the other Christian responds, thank you as well. If you're up for it, I'd like to discuss our views on the situation that led to the problem in the first place. And then the other Christian replies, for sure. You know, I know we don't always see eye to eye about what we believe is best for the world, but then our common ground is in Christ, isn't it? And the other Christian says, amen. I'm willing to hear you out and consider your point of view. And the other Christian says, thank you. I'm hoping I can not only share my view, but learn from yours as well. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will know that we are the disciples of Jesus if we have love for one another. How can we love the world if we can't even love each other? How can we love the world if all we're doing is tearing one another apart? I want to see, I want to see a world where Christians fight for the spreading of the gospel, for making disciples, for the rights of the unborn child, for the rights of the immigrant, for a world where people of any religion can feel safe and not oppressed, and where people of other religions can feel like, man, these Christians love me so much because they're fighting for my rights. I want to know what they have to say. Why do these Christians love me so much that even though their religion is different than mine, they're fighting for my right to have a seat at the table? A world where Christians who theologically hold, like me, to the historic Christian ethic on sex and sexuality and marriage are fighting to honor and love and respect those who identify as different sexualities. Even though we have theological issues, acknowledging the pain and the struggle and the frustration the person has been through as they wrestle, as they wrestle with their flesh, acknowledging that we wrestle with our flesh and we needed compassion, we needed a savior, we needed understanding, we needed someone to look past our brokenness and reach down to heal us. Moral conviction with compassion. Christians who care about the health of citizens and the health of the economy. Christians who care about racial reconciliation, about ending racism wherever we can find it. And Christians who also believe that we should love and respect those in law enforcement, that we should fight for moral order, for peace in our cities, to teach people of all races and all backgrounds and of all different levels on the power social structure system, to teach those people to love and respect one another, to look back to the early church where you had the rich and the poor, the powerful and the weak, the slave and the free, and they would come to the same table 
and sit around it and break bread and treat each other as equals and share the gospel with one another. They would preach to each other and remind one another about the good things God has done. I'll be totally honest with you. This year, more than any other year in my life, I have been faced with the reality of political problems. I have lived a pretty privileged, sheltered life. I haven't had to think much about how politics affect me. Throughout my life, during most elections, I've always thought, well, I hope this guy wins, but if he doesn't, I'll be okay. This doesn't really affect me that much. This year, on all sides of the spectrum, I've seen more than ever how much this stuff does affect people. And so I see people on both sides making cases, compelling cases about why this side is right and this side is wrong. And if you stand for this side, you're helping these people. If you stand for this side, you're hurting these people. And then other people come and say, actually, you're wrong. If you stand for that side, the people that you think that you're helping, you're actually hurting. You need to stand for this side because then you'll really be helping the people you want to help. And it just goes on and on. I'm just going to be honest. I do have some ideas I do have some ideas of what the right things are. There's a lot of stuff where I'm just like, I am not a sociologist. I'm not a political scientist. I am swimming in opinion. I am swimming in people declaring what is righteous and what is not. I am swimming in people saying, our hope is in this candidate. Our hope is in this policy. Our hope is in this party. And at the end of the day for me, because I truly, truly want to help everyone on all sides, I'm just, I am, I feel overwhelmed. I feel crippled. I feel paralyzed. I feel like no matter what political decisions I make or my friends make or my family make, someone is still going to suffer. Someone is still going to be hurting. And there's nothing that I can do. And maybe, maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you voted for one person or the other, but there's this underlying sense that no matter who wins, there is still going to be anger, pain, frustration, suffering in this world. And you feel like there's nothing that you can do. If that's you, my message to you right now would be some simple words that I used to say all the time when I was a high school pastor. This was the slogan of our youth ministry. And that is, if Jesus is king, that changes everything. If Jesus is king, that changes everything. Friends, we are not called to trust in princes of this world. We are not called to give our allegiance to donkeys or elephants. We are called to pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. America is not our home. Heaven is our home. That is our true country, our true kingdom that we fight for and we fight from. It's where our power comes from. And listen, no matter who wins, there will be pain, there will be suffering, there will be fear, there will be frustration. And if you see yourself as fighting for the kingdom of the right or the kingdom of the left, you are going to turn a blind eye 
to some of that suffering. You are going to look at people crying out for justice on either side, and you're going to downplay and ignore their cries. You're going to dismiss them because you don't want to let any noise into your sphere of influence that sounds anything like the side that you oppose. But if we fight from the kingdom of heaven, if we fight for the kingdom of heaven, we see the suffering of those on either side, we hear their cries, and we help them understand there is hope, and his name is Jesus. He is coming. He is already, but he is not yet. He's on the way, and he's bringing a kingdom with no more pandemics, no more violence, no more war, no more greed, no more abortion, no more murder, no more sexism, no more racism, no more sexual abuse. A kingdom where every man will finally truly be free. A kingdom without taxes. A kingdom where every man will be a brother to the other. A kingdom where every woman will feel valued and respected and cared for. There is no objectification in the kingdom of God. A kingdom where those who once committed crimes and who were locked and imprisoned will be more free than they ever were on this earth because they found their hope in Christ. A kingdom where every single one of us, no matter how good we seemed on earth, will come face to face with the full weight of our sin, knowing that every one of us deserves death. And then every one of us will be brought to tears by the overwhelming amount of grace and mercy we were showed, even when we refuse to show grace and mercy to others. A kingdom where all of us will be able to forget our sins and live free of the cancer of sin, free of division, free from pain, free from hate, no more anger, no more tears, only joy, only peace, only hope, and a deep fulfillment that will come straight from the heart of God. We'll be living the way we were always meant to live, connected to the Father and to one another with no more walls and no more barriers to one another. We are exiles and refugees in this world, and every single one of us will enter the kingdom as immigrants. But then we will be made citizens forever. There will be no more hunger, and there will be health for all. This is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And it is a kingdom that is yet to come, but it is also a kingdom that God very much wants to exist in part here on earth but it can't be achieved through the left or the right. It can't be achieved by authoritarian theocracy. It can't be achieved through progressive, it can't be achieved through progressive utopianism. But when Christians live like Jesus is king, we will see pockets of that world appear in this world. When Christians choose to love the stranger, when Christians choose to love the unlovable, when we visit prisons, when we help the immigrant, when we sit down with someone with a different political view than us and have a conversation that is founded in love and not fear, 
When instead of screaming at the abortionist, we sit down with the young woman contemplating whether she should get an abortion and gently lead her to the reality that there is hope other than ending life. There is hope in giving life. When we see minorities and police officers screaming at each other in the streets and we step in between them and we serve as peacemakers, when we show the communities around us how to love and respect one another despite differences, despite fears, if Jesus is king, he really does change everything on every issue. Think about abortion. I have faith that if Jesus is king, regardless of who wins this election and the next and the next and the next, Jesus is fighting abortion. He is working to protect the life of the unborn and the lives of women. He is doing this work and he will complete it and he will accomplish his goals in this world. If Jesus is king, I believe that he will lead so many women to walk away from their choice to end a life. And he will lead them, and he will lead them into self-sacrificial love. I believe that if Jesus is king, he loves women so much that he will lead Christians to come alongside women struggling financially with depression about their unplanned pregnancy or maybe their abuse or their rape. And he will lead Christians to surround these women and provide them with so much love, so much support, so much care, so much compassion, so much empathy that abortion will become unthinkable to them. I believe that one day it is very possible that whether you're on the left or the right, in a hundred years, perhaps we may look back and no matter what political persuasion we're from, we may be able to admit together that we were wrong, just like we were wrong about slavery. We were wrong about the unborn. Think about racial reconciliation, racial justice. If Jesus is king, and if that really changes everything, I believe that Jesus can heal the divide. He can bring people together. He can help people to see the issue of race and justice, not through a left lens, not through a right lens, but through a kingdom of God lens. I believe that he has the power to melt the heart of racists and to help them surrender their bigotry to Jesus, to change their hearts, to be someone that doesn't judge someone by the color of their skin but someone who loves equally. I believe that he can heal the hurt in the African-American heart. I believe that he can inspire forgiveness. He can calm rage. I believe that he can get in to places in our world that are systemically broken and bring healing and fixing to systems in our world that cause racist outcomes. I have faith that he can break down those walls. I have faith that he can inspire white Christians and black Christians to stop shouting at one another and to listen to one another, to learn from one another's perspective, to speak not out of anger and frustration, but out of love, 
to bend over backwards saying, how can I learn more about your perspective? How can I grow in loving you? How can I change my heart and my behavior? How can I apologize for ways that I've hurt? I believe this can be done and I believe he is already doing it and he will complete that work. And one day the kingdom of God will be the multi-ethnic, multi-racial, global community of Christ. And there will be race and color and culture, but no more division, no more hate, no more pointing fingers, no more whataboutism, just love, only love. No matter what the issue you're concerned about, whether it's greed, whether it's corruption, whether it's child sex trafficking, whether it's COVID, I believe that Jesus is fighting against these things. But you will hardly ever hear the stories of the progress Jesus is making because the 24-hour news cycle drowns us out with division. They are committed to keeping us angry at one another. The political powers and structures in our society and in our world know that if they can divide us, they can conquer us. If we just stay angry at one another, we'll make sure that we vote for whoever we think will defeat our enemies. We fail to realize that we are our enemies. There is no one more destructive to us than us. When we submit to our sin nature, we submit to the devil and we slowly kill ourselves with our own vices and corruption and bitterness and anger and jealousy and hatred. We allow these things to consume us and Jesus wants to set us free. How often do we actually ignore the speck in our brother's eye and deal with the plank sticking out of our own eye? Friends, I'm telling you, there is nothing more important than the preaching of the gospel. And right now it's, it's a hard moment for me because I see how so many people hate Christians right now. They hate Christians because they believe that Christians have aligned themselves with earthly political kingdoms. They see Christians loudly and proudly supporting earthly secular political kings and princes. And their hearts are frustrated and broken because they, they see this as hypocrisy. And very often it is, because what we do, of course, is we spend four years complaining and grumbling and blasting one side. But then when our side wins, we are silent when there is any evil or hypocrisy. And the world sees this. Friends, I encourage you, separate yourself from any allegiance. Participate in democracy, certainly but do not hold allegiance. Do not identify yourself by earthly political kingdoms, by elephants or donkeys, by red or blue. Identify yourself first and foremost chiefly by Jesus and his kingdom. Be the kind of person where anyone, whether they're left or right, red, blue, whatever, be the kind of person where they feel loved by you when you speak to them. They feel loved by you when they read your Facebook comments. They feel loved by you. Do they feel loved by you? Do they feel the love of the kingdom? So many people are angry at Christians right now. 
we have a lot of work to do. We need to take back ground from the enemy. And I really think the way that this will be done is through us going out of our way to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and to show lost people that they are not identified chiefly by God as lost, but loved. Like our shepherd, we're called to leave the 99 and go after the one. I'm not saying compromise your principles. I'm not saying everybody on the left needs to jump over to the right and everybody on the right needs to jump over to the left. That No, that, that's insanity. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is no matter how you are convicted about which party will do the best job to run this earthly kingdom, do your part to fight for and from the kingdom of heaven. Focus on evangelism. Focus on preaching the gospel. When you encounter somebody, do not concern yourself with trying to evangelize them on the gospel of the elephant or the donkey. If they do not have Jesus, get them to Jesus. Be like the men with the man with the withered hand, the friends who were willing to tear a hole open in somebody's roof to get their friend to Jesus. That's that's the motivation we need, the tenacity we need. We need to bring people to Jesus first and then trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. I truly believe that if you are following Jesus biblically and scripturally, over time, the Holy Spirit will do his work on you and you're going to look a lot less like the political left and a lot less like the political right. People are constantly worrying about this left-right spectrum. Am I more left? Am I more right? We need to exit that spectrum and head above. Not left, not right, but above. Seeing the world through the eyes of Christ and not through the eyes of political pundits. I've spent years going to other countries as a missionary. There's never been a time where I've gone to another country and worried about converting somebody in Russia to my politics or somebody in Ireland to my politics. When I go on the mission field, I have one goal and one purpose, to point people to Jesus, to get people to Jesus. And then I don't know what their politics are, but I'm trusting that God is going to help them. I'm trusting that over time, the Holy Spirit is gonna make this person less like their political influences and their social influences and more like Jesus. And that's enough for me. What if that was our perspective as American Christian missionaries, as missionaries to America? America is not our home. It is the earthly country we've been exiled in. This world is not our home. Heaven is our true home. We are exiles in this world, in the kingdoms of Babylon. And that includes America and England and Ireland and Russia and everywhere else. The kingdoms of the world. We are exiles in these kingdoms, and yet we are called to live for the kingdom of God. Like Daniel, he knew his true home was Israel, and yet he lived and he worked for the good of Babylon. But he never, ever pledged his allegiance to the earthly kingdom. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. He didn't pledge his heart and his soul to Babylon. He didn't conform to the ways of Babylon. He worked for the good of Babylon, but he never surrendered himself to it. 
If Jesus is king, that changes everything. We can be a force for good in this world. Jesus will end all sin and evil. He will end abortion. He will end racism. He will end injustice. He will end violence. He will end wars. He will end some of those things in this life, but a lot of it won't be ended until the next life. Until then, we fight. The war has already been won. The end of the story has been written. And so let's not stress. Let's walk in the victory that we already have. Because the reality is, let's just play the game of worst case scenarios. Let's say that my friends on the left, let's say that your worst nightmare comes true and our nation becomes a fascist dictatorship where Christianity is forced on people. And we just go to Old Testament theocracy style where people are getting executed for committing sins. If that happens, Jesus is still king and it's up to every Christian to fight against that false theocracy, that false idea of the kingdom of God. It's up to us to not try to destroy our enemies or control our enemies or lock our enemies away. It's up to us to try to reach our enemies with the gospel despite what the government does. It's up to us to lay down our lives and sacrifice our lives to reach even our worst enemies. And let's say if you're on the right and your worst fever dream comes true and our country becomes a socialist wasteland and Christians become the minority and, and Christians become oppressed and churches get shut down. If that happens, Jesus is still king and the church will thrive and survive underground and will probably become more powerful, completely separated from the political establishment. It'll probably become more effective and more people will get saved because people will see these Christians, they've lost all their power, all their political status, all their privilege, all their rights, and yet they're still fighting for me to hear the gospel. They're still fighting for me to know who Jesus is. Who are these people? Why would they do this? If Jesus is king, that changes everything. Whether the left or right wins today or four years from now or eight years from now, and again and again and again, Jesus is still king and our job is still the same. It doesn't change. It's preach the gospel, make disciples. And yes, a lot of people hate Christians right now, but the scripture tells us that the way of Jesus is narrow and only few find the road. We cannot expect non-Christians to act like Christians. We cannot expect non-Christians to hold our values. We cannot expect non-Christians to follow Jesus. We can actually expect that they won't. We can actually expect that we will be the minority and they will be the majority. We can actually expect that only few will find this road. But if we spend our life fighting our enemies and missing out on the few that we are called to go after, we're missing the whole point because that is the point. Go into the world, make disciples, preach the gospel, great commission. The way is narrow and only few will find it, but our one job is we are tasked to help those few people find that way. 
we need to examine our life and ask, does my life reflect that? Am I trying to help people find that way? Is that one of the main purposes and passions of my life? If it's not, something is off. Do I put my hope in a president? Do I put my hope in policies? Do I put my hope in the kingdoms of this world? Or do I put my hope knowing that Jesus is the true king, knowing that he will restore heaven and earth, knowing that he will bring the kingdom that we will never see fully until he returns? Do we know that he's called us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to self-sacrificially lay down our lives even for our enemies, to go the extra mile, to love even when we're persecuted, to not grumble and complain about our rights and liberties, but to actually fight, not for our freedom, but to be willing like Paul to be imprisoned and beaten and crucified so that others can find freedom. And not this false freedom, not this secular utopian freedom of I get to do whatever I want and sin however I want. That's bondage. It leads people to sin. It leads people to destruction. Showing people instead the true freedom that comes from dying to self and living to Christ. The only freedom that is true because it is the freedom that loosens the shackles of bondage and sin on our life and instead brings us into a place where we own up to the fact that we are like little children and we need our Father. We need His guidance. We need His love. We need Him to tell us what is right and wrong. We need Him to define good and evil for us. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need him to unify us. We need him to give us compassion. We need him to give us empathy. We need him to give us understanding. We have a long road ahead of us, not just the next four years, no matter who wins, but our lives. This world is not our home. There will be wars and rumors of wars, division, disease. Nothing about this is new. It's the way of the world. We need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. We need to go into this world, love God, love others, and push back darkness. Thank you for spending time with me today and just listening to me verbally process all of this. I hope, I hope it leaves you encouraged. I don't have the answers. I can't tell you the best political solution in this world. But I can tell you that if Jesus is king, that changes everything. And I truly hope that those words will imprint on your heart and that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you as you apply that principle to your life. I guess all that's left to do, I've said my piece, all I can do now is just pray. And so I will. I'm going to close this podcast time in prayer. Jesus, please help me to trust you. Please help me to honor you no matter what. Please help me not to give in to my fears and anxieties about the world that constantly feels like it's crumbling all around us. Please help me to really believe those words. If Jesus is king, that changes everything. Help me to love those I disagree with. Help me to honor those I disagree with. Help me to care most of all that people meet Jesus 
regardless of whether or not they agree with me. Help me to have enough faith that your Holy Spirit can change someone even if they don't agree with me. Help me to have enough faith to believe and to expect that you will change me as well. Help me to not feel like I've arrived, but help me to constantly submit myself to your spirit as you change me and guide me and help me to become more like you. Help me to believe that if you are king, it changes everything. Help me to believe that the problems in the world that break my heart and your heart can be fixed by you regardless of the political powers of our earthly secular systems. Help me to believe that the church will be used by you to make a difference in the world. Jesus, please help us as Christians to be a light even to those who hate us. Help us to break down walls. Help us not to return hate with hate. Help us to not return bitterness with bitterness. Help us not to preach the false message that hope is found in any earthly side. Help us to have the courage to reveal the brokenness of all of these sides, not just the one we hate the most. Help us to continually point people to you. Whoever they are, whatever their sin, whatever their struggle, help us to humbly and boldly proclaim your gospel. Help us to bend over backwards so that a few can know you. Help us to be willing to leave the 99 to go after the one. Help us not to idolize safety and security, but help us to pursue righteousness, justice, and mercy. Help us not to lose heart with whatever way the political wind blows, but help us to trust that the wind of your spirit is constantly blowing, filling us, instilling us with you and your heart. Help us to believe that the number one way that you want to change the world is through your bride, the church and help us to go out and be that change wherever we live with whoever's in our path whether we agree with them or disagree with them help us to love them unconditionally and point them to you we love you jesus we thank you for who you are and we just ask for more of you for more of a filling of your spirit we ask for you to give us you Fill us with you. Help us to trust you, no matter what. In your name, amen.